Hello and welcome to The Word and Wellbeing, a fortnightly podcast from Meridian Wellbeing, talking about everything going on in the world of mental health, wellbeing, current affairs. Today we're very fortunate to have two fantastic guests, Councillor Arjun Mitra and Councillor Anne Clark. Good afternoon, both of you. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Really interesting, really exciting. We were having a bit of a chat beforehand and I think it's something we should kind of jump into. So both of you really what what does what does a councillor do obviously you're uh councillors for the london borough of barnet what do you actually do hey well I, I, i'll probably start off because I've, I've been there slightly longer than Anne has i've, I've done nine years um, wow gosh yeah i i can't quite believe it's been that long but it has i so councillors re- there's three parts really to being a councillor there's the stuff you do at the town hall uh, which is formulating policy or scrutinising it if you're on the opposition, asking questions, taking part in civic functions. The second part of that is the work you do in the community. So that's taking up local campaigns, doing casework, uh, casework of um, all the little issues that residents will bring to you. You know, there's there's dog mess outside my house. There's my bins haven't been collected, things like that. And then the third part is some of the more political work you've got to do. You've got, obviously got to campaign. You've got to listen. You've got to, you've got to do work for your political party. Um, so that, I mean, that's basically being a councillor in a nutshell. Um, and most of your time is spent doing all of that. Um, I mean, the amount of, of time it takes can really vary i probably spent about i probably spent about 30 to 50 hours a week depending on the week oh wow gosh yeah uh doing counselor where i very high demand award so and 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 when Anne speaks she'll tell you about her equally uh demanding ward so um you know but not all not all wards are like that there are some wards where residents you know don't have a huge amount of com- complaints or you know, the, the culture in the ward isn't that they'll go to their councils all the time, whereas for Anne in Charles Hill and me in East Finchley, um, you know, our residents know us fairly well, so they, so they will come to us. But I've, I've, I've given a bit of an outline. I think Anne can probably go into better detail about the on-the-ground stuff. Which is a bit Thank more you, Councillor Mitra. Yeah, so, so, so I agree with everything that Arjun has said. I mean, I would add that, that one thing we spend a lot of time on as well um, I, 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 every ward is different, every community is different, but um, I seem to spend a lot of time with, with residents, residents associations. Uh, in my ward in particular, there's a lot of uh, major planning uh, issues. So there's uh, big, big redevelopments, large scale uh, planning applications. And, and a lot of that work then uh, ends up being, you know, working with residents becoming a planning expert uh, quite quickly. That's one thing as a counselor is the range of issues to deal with every day and every week are so varied. And, you know, I'll, I'll have some, you know, a resident might ask me, uh, you know, what are the implications of, of my neighboring road being a private road? And, you know, all of a sudden you're looking that up. I mean, see, it's, it's, uh, it's it's about knowing when to tell residents. Look, I need some time to research this. I don't know this right right off the bat, um, but also being there to listen to residents. So I, I have quite a number of residents in very poor quality private housing, and equally, I have residents who are inappropriately housed. Um, you know, perhaps by the council, but also. Um, you know, they, they've been placed there by somebody. And, and it's about sort of listening, signposting, but also, you know, absolutely championing them when 
you know, it will make a difference uh, to, to them. We're, certainly, we, we're always here to help and, and always here to listen. And I think, you know, Arjun and I both serve wards that are very busy. Um, and, and we have so many different communities within these wards. Um, and I think with one, of, one of the things that, that I think is really important is, is not thinking that there are some people who are very difficult to reach. I think it's our responsibility to, to be sure we're reaching everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I think sometimes, like in so many situations, things that are difficult or perceived to be difficult can sometimes be put off or they can be, uh, organizations can be less inclined. But particularly when it comes to individuals, it, it can lead to you know real issues and real problems and some of the most vulnerable people being uh, being let down. So I, I completely agree, agree with that. So thank you for that, Councillor Clark. So I think something that, that from, again, kind of going back to something we talked about before, which I think would be quite interesting really particularly for our listeners living in in barnet but actually i suppose across the boroughs because you know it's similar sort of structures so uh councillors uh mitra and uh clark so what is barnet council actually responsible for what things can you do and what things are kind of perhaps the responsibility of uh, you know the national government or things like that? because it's certainly sort of in my limited experience dealing with kind of local government there is often that confusion amongst the residents the constituents the electorate as to who's responsible for this and who's responsible for that and certainly if you're a uh, i know london doesn't have parishes or town councils as such but if you're a, out in the shires a beautiful part of the world parish councils have certain authorities but obviously not others that uh, so it's interesting to know what what's the london borough what what can a london borough is responsible for so, so the different so, so what what the borough is responsible is uh, for is 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 always linked ultimately to 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 to, to governments and and to to governance framework so from a resident's perspective we're responsible for uh social care which is a, a huge part of the council's budget particularly mm. in a borough like barnet with uh, an aging population and such a large population as well uh, we're responsible for roads uh, with, with the exception of some TFL roads, but most surface roads, so most of the roads, uh, residential streets, um, that will be the responsibility of the London Borough of Barnet. We're responsible for planning, so we decide planning applications, but again, that national planning framework has, um, you know, decides much of that. So we're deciding plans within that framework as well. So that, that's sort of a slightly complicated and, and famously we're responsible for bins. So everything from which bins we collect and when and how well they're collected. Uh, famously in Barnet, uh, we, we don't collect food waste, which uh, oh, most really? other councils do. Yeah, we don't, oh. they, they canceled it. Um, so decisions like that have been taken. And the, the other thing we're uh, responsible for is housing. So, so people with housing issues can come to the council. It, it, there is some, I think, a great deal of misunderstanding about what councils can do nationally and locally. We do not have enough social housing. I think there are, there's still a great deal of thought that somehow the council has is able to house everyone and mm. you know we haven't built enough social housing and it's it's a real issue so that that's another area we're responsible for also things like keeping keeping streets clean we're not 
not famous for it in Barnet, but it is our responsibility. Our Arjun, I don't want to. I don't want to list everything. If there's things you want to add, <laughs> I, I, I think the only thing I, I would add to, I think that's a really good summary of, of what the council does. I, I always think, you know, unfortunately in, in, in politics and government, you know, money is power. And I always think a lot of what we do really relates to how much we spend on it. And people don't, people tend to associate the council with things like local leisure services, libraries, uh, community centres, sports centres, um, and, uh, and environmental spend like bins, uh, uh, cleaning and, and uh, parks and things like that. But actually, you know, two thirds of what we spend our money on is actually the adult social care side. And that, you know, that and it's a huge responsibility. We, you know, we are, we are in effect an extra arm of the National Health Service in a way, because so much of of what we do ties in with um, uh, with that, and it's it's why all councillors go on and on about adult social care and and uh, spending on that. It's, it's a huge, it really is a huge part of what we do. I think I think one of the tragedies of the last ten years is because there've been so many cuts to our uh, budgets from from central government. You know, a lot of the other services that we've been trying to provide have kind of fallen uh, off the off off the side a little bit. I think you know. The, the way councils used to be funded is that half of our money came from your council taxes and your business grants. Uh, sorry, your uh, business rates, uh, and the other half was a was a, a grant from the government. Well, the government mm. decided ten years ago, eleven years ago, uh, they were basically going to stop that grant. So that that half of our funding has gone. In fact, it's about sixty percent um, of our funding has gone. But the responsibilities we have have stayed the same, if not gone up I, I know a lot of your residents will be aware that barnet came up with a very famous concept called the graph of doom <laughs> which basically said that um you know over time the council's ability to raise money is very limited because of council tax capping but the costs of adult social care alone uh just keep growing and growing and growing we've got an older population yep. you know a, a healthier older population which is a good thing but that adds huge amounts of cost to what we're doing. And, even you know, that their graph showed that at some point, uh, all revenue that Barnet receives would have to go on adult social care. So those are some of the big issues that the council faces at the moment, all local government faces. I, I mean, I completely. I mean, similar to sort of Barnet, where I am in East Sussex, East Sussex has a by proportion compared to the UK is a very high number of people who are retired uh, over the age of 80, 60, 70. And we have obviously similar, you know, we have a very expensive uh, adult social care uh, bill because of that. And certainly we've, I mean, certainly we've seen over, I don't know, 10, 15 years, there's, there's been a real push for that kind of localism and that kind of local governments making those decisions. But at the same time, it is coming with a greater and greater you know, cost to it, but as you as you completely said, uh, local taxes are not are not going to be able to fund it. So there is going to have to be a conversation at some point, and and that could be quite a painful conversation actually about what realistically government local governments can fund and what they can't. Um, certainly, sort of in my in my my short lifespan, you know, it's kind of been a kind of accepted that sort of local government can fund bits and pieces and national government can fund bits and pieces but i suppose there will have to be a conversation at some point and there will have to be a decision particularly as you said with the number of people living longer becoming greater and that's thanks to fantastic things like the nhs and uh, your own sort of you know uh, social care services and things like that uh, but it also means that 
it, there's going to be more of a cost. It'll be interesting to see, I say interesting, uh, I hope that we have that conversation sooner rather than later because it, it is going to be tough. Um, no, thank you for that, Councillor Mitra and Councillor Clark. So if we then, if we start to kind of dig into it a bit, so Barnet, um, you're both councillors in Barnet, as I've as we've already been discussing. But why? What, what is it about being a councillor that interests you? Why why did you become a councillor? If you don't mind me asking, I think every councillor will give you a, a different answer. But you know, for, for me, I was uh, I was very active in the, in the community. I was a, a governor. I still am a governor at two schools, a, a primary and a secondary. I've been very involved with local issues, uh, particularly. Um, I'm a member of the Cricklewood Town team, and we were. Uh, have been we have been doing and are still doing a lot of uh, local improvement projects to the area and art projects and sort of bringing people together i was very upset with decisions taken around uh, sp specifically my local library and libraries across barnet um, i got involved with a, a group called save barnet libraries and and really we were campaigning not not just to keep libraries open because we love libraries although we do it was also about keeping public space open, keeping that community space open and just stopping Barnet ripping the heart out of our communities. And I felt very strongly about it. That didn't make mean I wanted to stand for council though. I think I, at the time, was very disappointed that two of my own ward councillors voted against keeping the Barnet libraries sort of safe from get it, having space removed and having books removed and having staff replaced by security and that sort of stuff that's now happened. But in that disappointment, I really was looking for other people who would who would who would sort of better represent my local community. And um, I have had, had, had lots of talks. I didn't initially think I wanted to stand at all. Um, it was, <laughs> and I was rather strong armed into it by by several people, including Councillor Mitchell. I'll have you know, but but also other people, people in the local <laughs> Labour Party uh, who thought I'd make a good councillor. I mean, so standing for council is two things. One, it's it's about sort of wanting to do it but also winning it and I and this is the, the ward I serve is a very tight marginal um, I only won by two votes my, oh, wow. my board Gosh. colleagues I think one has a 16 vote majority and the other about uh, 38 or something so there's nothing between us and they were incumbents so it was very tight indeed and oh I think gosh. you know did, did you have a recount <laughs> It's yes, there was a recount. So, you know, it's it's uh, we all stand for different reasons. And, and I think I've kind of stayed with that theme, you know, throughout the time I've been a councillor. It's been about, you know, fighting for green spaces, fighting for communities um, and, and, and continuing to improve things where I can. I, I completely agree. And uh, I, coincidentally, uh, similarly, in my in my past life, I similarly stood on. I, I didn't stand for election, but I was part of a campaign to protect local libraries. And in fact, I was for a time I was a trustee, a founding trustee for a community library that we set up to replace a library that was lost to because of local funding. But I suppose if we sort of take party politics out of that, and it goes back to something that we were kind of talking about earlier, which was the the realities of having more and more costs and less and less income coming in and therefore tougher decisions and, and that's not to justify it and it's not to it's not to say that that's the right decision or wrong decision but it's certainly to say that clearly there are already we're seeing very very tough decisions having to be made and you know i, I expect unfortunately that more of that's going to come until we get to the point where i don't know we can find a better way to fund things but so no thank you very much for that councillor clark uh, councillor mitra so you've been a councillor for nine years gosh 
Yeah, I know. Um, I, I, I still feel like a new counsellor at the time. And I, I, <laughs> you're always learning something new, so it, it, it can be a bit strange sometimes. Yeah, I, I was 25 when I was first elected. And I, uh, I, I came into the local community via the political route, actually. So I joined the Labour Party when I was 18. I was involved. Um, I worked with the local councillors for seven years. It was kind of through that that I got involved with a lot more of the local community. And in particular, my, I came in in a by-election in fact and my oh really greatest, oh, yeah that's awful I, it's by-election prices are terrible i have to say but i the, the guy i replaced andrew mcneil who sadly passed away earlier this year he he was a really good friend of mine and he um one summer when i was at uni i, I didn't have much to do and he said do you you know i i i, I give help at a volunteer advice service do you want to do you want to do like a summer training thing with me and, and i'll show you how we how we help people it's kind of like a volunteer citizens advice bureau and i said yeah and, and you know that summer in 2006 was just was, was brilliant i i really enjoyed doing that and i i still i still um, I, I remember the cases I dealt with back then, you know, 14 years ago. And the sense of achievement I had helping some of those people with some of the terrible things they were going through uh, was fantastic. And then in 2010, the council closed that service, the East Finch Advice Surgery. And, and I was really angry about that because that there's, there's very little help for people and there's very little advice for basic things. You know, if you want help with uh, dealing with a company and you're not that confident about things or English isn't your first language you know who do you really go to if you or some of the more serious things like benefits advice who do you go to there's there's, there's so little help for that out there and I was I was so outraged when they closed that service that when when my predecessor Andrew decided to retire from the council I, I threw my hat into the ring and and I uh, got selected by the Labour Party and I, I was elected and uh, I've tried to be involved in all the other little community groups one way or another uh, since then but that's, that's kind of how I got involved. That's fun, fantastic thank you very much for that Councillor Mitra and I, I I can completely sort of again you know party politics aside I think that's both of you have got the kind of right reason to be a councillor it's that kind of wanting to support your communities and certainly sort of I, I completely agree I completely agree um, and there are so many people out there who are in such a desperate situation and need their device and can't get to it and one of the things that that I was very passionate about and I suppose I still am very passionate about was the importance of things like having those public spaces like libraries was because when you had changes things like like the introduction of universal credit with the dependent it was kind of dependent on people being able to access and apply online well if you're homeless or if you're coming from you know if you don't have very much money you probably don't have access to the internet and therefore these kind of public services provided a lifeline which otherwise you're not going to get access to uh, and suddenly you know with your advice service um, I know from my own experience you know doing um, constituency casework that people are often desperate uh, you know for that kind of reassurance for that kind of guidance because as you said particularly the benefit system uh, and I won't even mention the planning system which is incredibly you know complicated but particularly the benefit system is so complicated. It is so, so complicated. And the, 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 I don't want to get into a whole sort of thing about universal credit or benefits and things like that, but certainly sort of making things simple for people, particularly for people who are in very desperate situations, I think is so important. And it's a shame that obviously that there aren't more opportunities for people to get that advice that they need it i think uh yeah it, it's really great to hear about both of your both of your uh, the reason that you're doing what you're doing because it's it, it sort of inspires me again it, it inspires me that there are so many individuals out there 
um, you know, in different parties who are doing things for the right reasons. And yes, there are people who perhaps have slightly different perspectives. And, and yes, there are politicians, I think we can think of a few, who might have a, uh, a different reason for being what they are. But it's great to see such, you know, really kind of inspiring people. So thank you both of you for that. Um, so I'll stop sort of uh, trying to sort of uh, pluck your egos and sort of, uh, you know, build you up or anything more. No, so, we're fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, part of our work, so part of our work, uh, obviously, as a as a mental health and wellbeing charity is that we we support vulnerable people and we try and make a difference. We, we do run advice, uh, advice sessions on things like housing benefits and we have a variety of resources that we provide to, 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 you know, to people within the Barnet and surrounding areas. Um, I think one of the things that's been really key for us over the last year, not key, but one of the things that we've kind of really noticed over the last year was we have approximately about 65% of our service users and we support approximately 10,000 people a year um, come from BAME communities. Now, obviously there's lots and lots of press, perhaps not enough that the, as there should be considering the kind of the realities of how the BAME communities have been impacted by both COVID and a variety of other things. But within your within your wards within within the within the borough, um, I know we talked about a bit about this before. How do you how do you think that the BAME BAME communities and minority communities are, are how are they doing uh, given the, what's happening with COVID and the lockdowns? I think it's really difficult. Um, this is something that exercises me in particular. Uh, last year, I. Um, actually managed to get a, uh, a motion passed uh, at the one of the main committees uh, related to the Black Lives Matter movement. And one of the key things that I got as part of that was to ensure that there was a, a special look at our BAME communities as part of the COVID recovery plan. So council, council very often, you know, talks the right talk on some of these things, but they don't always walk the walk so I, I thought it was quite important to raise that as to a level of consciousness and uh, and, and at least get the council to recognize that they need to think differently about different communities and uh, that they needed to recognize that different communities have, have totally different needs at times and access services in very very different ways so mm. you know one of the big things that the council has been going through at the moment as a bit of a cost-cutting exercise we've got these controversial capita contracts which yeah, let's not get into the politics of that right now. But one of the we, we could do, but uh, other, one of other the, opinions are available. Yeah, I should say. yeah of course. <laughs> uh, but one one of the one of the things that the that the contract has has explicitly tried to achieve is something called modal shift, uh, which is getting people to change the way that they access council services. So you know, why is it so difficult to ring Barnet Council and speak to that robot? It's, it's deliberate. It's because uh, it's you know it's cheaper to direct people to the website and see if they can find what they want via the website that's why they've taken all the direct numbers off the website just you know don't don't speak to anyone just look for what you want on the website and if you if you really need clarification email someone or email this generic office uh, email for which you probably won't get a response that doesn't work uh, for a lot of people in particular i mean it doesn't work for a lot of our older citizens because they mm. don't have access to technology yeah yeah exactly they, they you know I've, I've, I've been on that committee raising raising these issues for uh for, for the nine years that we've been discussing those contracts um but you know it's particularly exclusionary to bame people um and as you know in in barnet there there's a, a very particular issue um, with a lot of our 
um, Asian community, whereby you know there are there are pockets of uh, widows who um, who either have husbands who've passed away or have moved back to India, but they're still living in the UK. They still access uh, services, but they they weren't in the world of work when they were of working age. They they've got very little access. Well, they have very little access to the outside world. And, you know, they're often, you know, there's a real language barrier with a lot of them, but they're still here. They need to access services. And, you know, how are they going to do that via a website? Mm. You know, it's it's really, really difficult. And, you know, one of the things that we've, we've really tried to, to raise with the council is that these barriers to access uh, really need to be removed. Otherwise, you won't get a full range of... Uh, otherwise, you know, a lot of the people that you, you need to protect will not get that protection. And another um, community that I work quite closely with during the pandemic is the uh, Somali Bravanese community. You may... You may have heard of them. Uh, they had a community centre on Coppets Road, which was burnt down in a in a racist arson attack a few years ago. Oh my god! Um, but there's a there's a there's been an incredible story sent since because they've um, uh, they've worked with uh, a lot of the local synagogues and the local synagogues have been housing them whilst we've been setting them up in um, a new centre in my road, the old uh, the old barn uh, now called the Tarling Road Hub for no reason. But they're now set up, or they've been trying to set up there, and COVID has really hit them hard as a community because you know, a lot of their community elders went back to Somalia, and you know there's a lot of misinformation that's been going on within the community. So I've been working with some of those community leaders to a try and uh, you know respond to the misinformation and and b to encourage people to get tested and get the vaccine. But that's you know a, it's very difficult. It is, it is, and it's certainly something which I know we've been in. Uh, we've been in, uh, having conversations with uh, organisations like Public Health and things like that because it's something we're very concerned about. Uh, and whilst obviously we are aware of being a fish within a bigger pool and things like that, but you know we're a big believer in working, you know, shared messaging and partnerships, and you know we are very concerned by not only the misinformation spreading kind of widely amongst the kind of. Uh, you know, uh, English speaking population, but also there is that real kind of there, there is that concern and that kind of missing information within kind of uh, communities where they have English as a second language or where there is that kind of limited in- English. And that's, you know, that's a real risk where you have communities which are already being hit hard by not only COVID, but also by historic health and uh, socioeconomic inequalities. And then you have the, you have those kind of those fears about the vaccines. And so it's, it's really great to hear about the work. And it really kind of it chimes with kind of what we want to do and what we uh, what we're hoping to do, um, because it, it's so needed. It is so desperately needed. And I think I think ultimately it's in everyone's best interest, you know, regardless of their heritage or their background or their race or religion or anything. Else. We're a community at the end of the day. and We should be supporting each other, particularly given uh, the circumstances that we'll find us in uh, find ourselves in so no thank you very much for that uh, councillor Mitchell that was yeah no, uh, brilliant thank you uh, councillor Clark uh, anything you'd like to sort of add or sort of uh, challenge <laughs> <laughs> nothing to challenge I mean I'll only note that you know it's uh, it, it, it's no great mystery when ev- every week we're given the uh, um, number of COVID cases across Barnet and we're you know we, we have um, statistics to show that the wards that have the highest rates of infection. I mean, the the, uh, the data that came out yesterday and that's come out consistently uh, throughout the pandemic is it's the wards along the A5 corridor that are almost always the top five wards. So the top five now, and I think almost every week they've been the top five um, and my ward is included in that. Um, that's where we have a lot of, uh, it's, 
overcrowding. So that's, uh, we, we have uh, BAME communities living in, in quite tight uh, corridors. And I, I worry that when lockdown for many people meant we, uh, it, was, it was a comment my neighbor made, and, and this is not a dig at her at all, but it just sort of struck me as a bit of, as a bit of sort of an, an interesting comment on the situation was lockdown means that middle-class people have poor people deliver things to them. And, and actually, I think a lot of that is then seen, you know, on the A5, because that's where they live. And, you know, it, it I, I do worry that we've treated people in the BAME community and, and more broadly, you know, poor people um, as sort of uh, those who have been serving and working in shops and delivering parcels you know, throughout the pandemic. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried that, that there's been a, a great injustice done and building back from that is is going to be very difficult. I do think Councillor Mitchell's motion was was great, and I'm I'm you know very pleased it passed in the council, and that those issues were highlighted a year ago uh, as they needed to be. But I but I do think this um, the situation we're in is a very difficult one, and I think everything people sort of feared going into it has now happened, and and it's it's going to it, it's no great mystery now why there's mistrust and 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 people you know that that comes into to the whole conversation around vaccines and vaccine take up, but but I don't think it's a mystery that you know why there is a, a disconnect and a mistrust in those communities. Oh, I think you're I think you're completely right, and I suppose it, almost uh, timely given what you just said is obviously the. The announcement today about Uber recognising was it seventy thousand of their workers as, as actually being workers, and certainly within you know you are completely right. You know many of us have been very fortunate to be able to work from home during you know during the last year, but not everybody has been fortunate to be in that position, and particularly those who are in lower paid positions within the hospitality and retail retail sectors. You know they've they've really struggled. Um, you know, and we've had these these nice phrases and sound bites from politicians across the aisles about how you know they're doing a fantastic job and things like that. But what we really need to, need to see is proper kind of recognition of it doesn't matter if someone's stacking a shelf or removing brains or whatever. You know, th- these are there is, these are all roles of, of of value in some way, and they produce value for the society and the communities that are in. And so I'm, I, you know, I completely agree with you and I'm a great believer in rewarding, you know, it's not to say I don't mind, I don't have any problem with people earning money and doing all the bits and pieces and, you know, uh, you know, but at the same time, I think that people deserve respect. And I think there's been too little of that. And I think particularly 20 years, something like that, there's been a real kind of focus on what matters is going to university and then being a professional, uh, you know, and that that is across political administrations. That's been the case, uh, and th- obviously this is just my opinion. I'm not I'm not going to sort of you know uh, this well, is just my opinion. I think I think I think I think one of the impacts of the pandemic has been the thing trends that were already happening have been brought forward by about ten years, and it's you know the pandemic has completely changed the way that we're we're looking at work. I I think. I think some of that was inevitable because work is changing. Um, but you know, we we there are things that we we have to think about now that we we weren't really thinking about before. Yeah, I I think I think at least for the next ten years, if if not longer, there will be a far greater emphasis on working from home. Mm. 
we we know that there's going to be less demand for city centre office space and things like that, and that staff will be asked to to spend more and more time working from home. But that has a real policy implication for us. You know, in in Barnet, the the administration have kind of always seen the borough as as a bit of a dormitory place where people come home and and live and spend the night, but they they work in the city, they, they enjoy their social life and their cultural life in the city. Uh, but they don't do a huge amount at home. Well, you know, that has to change. You know, that that's not what life is going to be like. We, you know, we're going to have to look very seriously at the quality of our broadband internet. Mm. Uh, we're going to have to look very seriously at the way we plan and design our towns. You know, Anne's, uh, Anne's ward, Charles Hill, is, is part of, um, you know, a, a huge regeneration programme, Brent Cross. Um, you know, I think one of the concerns that we, we've always raised about about their plans there is that they, they've made a lot of mistakes with their other regeneration programmes and then making the same mistakes again. Protecting green space is going to be hugely important. We know that. We um, in, During the lockdown, we've seen how valuable mm. uh, green space is, particularly for families stuck in small flats. Exactly. With yeah. Very little amenity space themselves. So... You know, those public green spaces become more and more important. And, you know, density becomes a big issue, as 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 a councillor Clark said earlier on. You know, why 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 the infection rates higher in in those A5 corridor wards? It's because the the building density is a lot higher, and there are many many more people who live in flats. You know, transport is going to change. We're gonna, have, you know, we have to. We have to look at the way we're getting around Barnet and the way we're we're getting around uh, London. You know that is that is fundamentally going to change. It's not just going to be those orbital routes going in and out of central London. It's the radial routes. Uh, sorry, the, we 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 we're thinking about the radial route for you know the last hundred and fifty years. We now need to think about those orbital routes. How do you get from you know the Meritage Centre in Hendon to East Finchley? Yeah, that's relatively easy because there's a one four three bus. But, you know, uh, how, how, how are you going to get from the Meritage Centre up to, you know, Brunswick Park Road or something like that? You know, it's, those, are, those are the kind of questions that we, we're going to have to really start asking ourselves. I don't know that we've got an integrated answer to all of that yet. I completely agree. And I think it's particularly, I mean, it's obviously very rele- relevant for, for, for London's boroughs, but also you have the impact that that new way of working will have on communities around the UK because it was something that I was speaking to Sarah Owen on, on this podcast, Sarah Owen MP, that was a fantastic MP. Uh, we were talking about the importance of communities around the UK having that ability to, to, to you know, to, that people can raise their kids there. They know, they know there's good hospitals. They know there's good schools. They know there's, you know, the, the infrastructure in place, which is important because I think that we have had that focus on London and the southeast, which obviously, if you live within London, it's fine. Um, you know, but there is, a, I think, things will change, and there needs to be a, a national conversation again about what that looks like. Because, as you said, what is good for one area isn't necessarily good for another. You know, by having more uh, more people working from home, for example, living in where I am in Sussex, so having less, you know, we have a lot of commuters. So having less commuters going into London means, I suppose, it's more environmentally friendly. Arguably, it's better for their well-being, but it's going to have a knock-on effect on the, the variety of services that they would have used when they were in London, for example, retail or hospitality. Um, and that's, you know, and that's, that's that is a... That's, I mean, that's that's going to happen. Um, you know, we're already seeing that. We've seen that over a year. So those kind of conversations do need to be happening. I think you're completely right. Looking at there's that also, picture. 
but there's also a question about you know your your place in Sussex you know what are the services that are there for you you know what's what are the local schools like well that's always a question but you know, can you shop locally what's the quality of your local shopping offer what's the quality of your local entertainment offer you know these are big things in in barnets and one of the things that we've raised is that we've had all these big regeneration schemes in places like collindale and, and west hendon um, which had very little employment space any very little retail space you know mill uh, all of the Mill Hill developments is, is, is very little retail space at all. Well, you know, that has an impact on livability locally. Yeah. So, yeah. It's all I, I, I completely agree with you. And I will, I will say as a uh, patriotic Sussex person that we have fantastic shops and uh, pubs and restaurants that I look forward <laughs> to them being out to being open. But we are, you know, we're very, I know I'm, well, I, I like to think I'm, I'm very aware of the privileges that I have. He says, without trying to sound too ironic, that you know where I am tends to be a wealthier part of the world, um, arguably, and has various other bits and pieces. But you are completely right. And ensuring that people have the infrastructure and the amenities in their area, and also are being, there is a reason for them to you know to shop in that area. You know, I think that's very important, and it's something that's been very popular over the last couple of years about that kind of shopping locally. Certainly, sort of one of the things that we back when I was a staffer, one of the things that we talked about was about the impact of kind of the economic and various other bits and pieces going forward. And how do you keep the constituency strong? Well, you need to have that kind of community of if you want that nice butchers to stay open, then you need to use it. And there's nothing wrong with using Tesco's. But at the same time, when you say, oh, it's so lovely to have a nice little high street with all these little shops. Well, if you don't use them, they are going to go. Um, you know, so I suppose it's almost going, it, again, it kind of goes back to that kind of perspective of, you know, what do we want our communities to look like? And we need to be having those those discussions, both policymakers and residents, you know, because residents often, you know, so often we, we love these kind of little niche little shops, but if we don't use them, then unfortunately they go very quickly. Um, but uh, no, no, that's, I, I yeah, I, I completely sort of uh, get where you're coming from, uh, Councillor Mitra. I, I think it's it's really interesting to kind of get your your take and kind of on the kind of the impacts that it's that broader broader impact of what invest like what investment and development looks like and how it both you know how it benefits both the communities at large and the residents and it, it seems like that there are there are some things there that could be you know things to develop steps to learn no thank you very much for that so one of the things i just uh, want to kind of uh, chat a bit about now if that's all right unless either of you would like to sort of expand further of course you're more than welcome i'm just the conductor i'm not sort of here to sort of uh, <laughs> you know, sort of uh, lock you down or anything like that. Um, so one of the things I think would be quite interesting to talk about is we've, we've touched on kind of, you know, the impact of COVID on BME communities. Um, you know, we at Mirror Wooding Wellbeing, uh, you know, we, we've been doing a lot of work over, six, over the last six months, um, raising awareness, uh, as Councillor Clark knows, of uh, anti-Chinese and anti-East uh, and Southeast Asian uh, hate crimes and racism, which, which has uh, just blown up uh, over the last year. And uh, unfortunately, obviously, you know, like so many of these things, these tropes and racist language uh, is historic and has been around for a long time, but certainly over the last year, um, you know, uh, across all uh, protected characteristics, you know, that there has been a rise. But how do policymakers deal with that? Uh, how do kind of decision makers deal with it? How, do, how does, you know, how do, um, counsellors police officers how do we better protect and support um you know vulnerable in well, not, i don't want to say vulnerable i don't mean they're vulnerable but, but how do we try and resolve this, this hatred yeah. that's quite a uh, big question but it's, uh, it's a it's a really big question chris i mean i think there's several different roles to play as well so i think we have a role as counsellors i think we have a role as residents and i think 
uh, we have a role as as communities, um, you know, alongside policy. I think things like Councillor Mitra's motion on Black Lives Matter is important. Um, I I think one thing that we can do as, as councillors, one of um, you know, I sit on, um, or all councillors have a seat on their local uh, safer neighbourhood board, their panel. Um, when I was first a councillor, uh, you know, several wonderful people in those meetings, but oftentimes six people, seven people, if we, you know, on a good night, and you know one of the things I've been doing is is looking at who's not at the table. And uh, that's that's something I've been growing. Um, you know, uh, why isn't your road not here? Why isn't, you know, why aren't these things happening? And now they're, they're big meetings um, and they're much more useful, both both to the police, well, I hope the police, but also to the other residents mm. because there's a lot of shared experience in that room. So if something's happening over in this part of the ward, that's also happening over here and kind of what's happening but but also it's it's about um bringing people together and and working with uh the safer neighborhood team and that structure and uh finding confidence um we support amongst you know between residents i think i think the other thing is 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 around engagement working with people um uh, oftentimes I'll get uh, residents say things to me that 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 are completely off, and and I'll you know pick them up on that. But I think there's also something around when other residents tell me things that have happened, you know, encouraging them to report things, encouraging them to get support, because oftentimes it's you know they'll say, well, why 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 would I report this? You know, the police won't come. Why would I report this? And it's it's kind of breaking that down into well, actually, because it's building up a picture, and it's about you know ensuring that your community is getting the support it deserves. I don't know if Arjun wants to add to that, but I, I, I do think it's I, I do think working alongside people and seeing seeing communities as uh, as unique, but also individuals inside those communities as being unique. It's it's not it's you know, it's not on just to say, oh, this is our you know, this this is our local Buddhist community. And, and that's what they all think, because it's, it's not how people work. And there's also interactions between the communities, which you know, are often, they're complex because people are, are, are complex. I, com I completely agree. Sorry, I, I, I'm i sure Councillor Mitra will sort of jump and, uh, I, I, but one thing I just wanted to pick up, and I think, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with all of that, but one thing that, it's something I, I've been thinking about a lot and sort of not to kind of keep name dropping, but sort of when I was speaking to Sarah, uh, Sarah Owen, uh, the fantastic MP for Luton North a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, sorry, Sarah, if you do ever listen to this, I do apologize. But uh, one of the things that she said, which I think is so true, is about that kind of that personal responsibility and on all of us, regardless of our background or community mm. or race or gender or anything at all, that if you see something that you know is wrong, if it's on social media or whatever, you need to say that it is wrong. That doesn't mean you need to necessarily confront the person who said it, but you need to report it. And I think it's so, so true. And, you know, one of the things, the reason that I want to mention that is I was thinking one of the things that we, we were discussing about was that seeing these horrific posts, um, you know, about people talking about refugees and things like that. And regardless of one's views on immigration and refugees, at the end of the day, people are people. They are exactly the same as us, regardless of where they come from or their race or religion or sexuality or anything like that. You know, they've got hopes and dreams and family and children. Would you, would, you know, if someone 
if you saw someone calling someone else something horrific, would you want your child to be called that? Would you want your mother, or your grandmother, your grandfather to be called that? I think a bit more personal responsibility is needed and a bit more kind of we're part of something. You know, as, you, as you've just said, you know, yes, there are different groups and bits and pieces within the community, but we're a community is broad. It's a big church, uh, a broad, big tent, and we need to kind of look out for each other a bit more. And when we see something that we know is wrong, we need to say it's wrong. And I think, I hope that by so doing, we can have that cultural shift that we've been talking about and start to stamp back on the kind of the hate that is rising for going no, no, I'll, well, get, I'll get off my soapbox no no well it's it's good that you feel passionate about it i wish everybody did i think i think the first thing to say is that i i was one of the things i was really relieved about is that my you know, my blm motion was unanimously supported and i you know that that could have been a very difficult thing for for the conservative administration to have supported but they did you know they they took a they took the right stance on it and they uh you know they did listen they listened to what i had to say and they voted for the motion so i think that sh- yeah it just shows that that it does show that there is you know there is support across the board for tackling some of these issues i um I, I think everything that's been said is absolutely true. I think you've got. I think you've got to. You've got to demonstrate, uh, you know, support for diverse communities and both kind of hard power and soft power. You've got to. You've got to. You, you do have to call out the overt racism and things like that. But that's what Clark mentioned. But you've also got to demonstrate support in, you know, in softer ways and normalise things. You know, when, um, you know, when the, all the xenophobia kicked off last year uh, before lockdown, I remember um, one of the Chinese. You know, Barnet actually has quite a substantial Chinese community, particularly around Burnt Oak. Um, and if you've, if you've been to Bang Bang and Collindale, we'll, you know, we'll strongly appreciate the, the, the contribution of our uh, East and Southeast Asian communities there. Um, it's fabulous. And, and actually, when 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 the rise in Sinophobia started, we you know we were asked uh, by the community, when you, when you go to a Chinese or a Southeast Asian eatery and, and show your support. And pre-lockdown, we did. And I think things like that are really, really important. You know, I... Um, I, 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 my own experience of racism kind of has has, has changed. It, it was an issue when I was a kid. It was less of an issue, I think, from around about the millennium till about 2016. And I think the last five years have really been very, very difficult. Really, very difficult. I I didn't used to get an awful lot of racist abuse myself. Uh, in my public duties, whereas now it, it has been a lot higher. I don't know whether that's because people feel emboldened to say things that they've always felt, or whether it's because uh, you know people's moods have changed. People are angry about things, global politics, and all of that stuff. I kind of I I think part of the solution to it is a lot of this is generated from position of anger. Society and people generally are very angry at the moment about things. Things have not gone well really since the financial crisis in 2008. People don't feel better off. I think part of the question is how do we as a society and, and as a country get ourselves into a, a more positive and hopeful mindset? I think if we pick up on that positivity in, in general, and I think some of those fears about uh, diversity, integration and all that stuff, I think some of that will will subside a bit and people will have that optimism that actually you know things are good i a curry is a good thing you know having have you know the, the contribution of of uh, afro-caribbean nurses to the nhs is a, is a good thing and we, you know we should celebrate that i think i think that comes with a more you know positive and uplifted mindset and i think 
that's what we as political leaders need to start engaging in. I, I completely agree. And uh, whilst I'm not a political leader, I, I, I do completely agree with you. I think I, I'm a great believer in multiculturalism. Um, I think having diversity makes us better. Um, you know, clearly sort of we, you know, it's so much that makes the UK the UK is because of centuries of some problematic bits and pieces, but also some great bits and pieces. As you, you know, you mentioned sort of chicken tikka masala is sort of uh, a quintessential sort of British UK dish. And yet it's obviously heritage is, is rooted in sort of the Indian subcontinent. And I think there's so many examples of how the UK is so fantastic because of that diversity. And I wouldn't want to lose that. And I think you're completely right. I think we need to do everything we can to protect um, and and hold on to that and also champion it you know we are better because there is more of us more opinions makes things better you know it would be uh, you know any kind of i mean even on a kind of political level having one party solely in power not only is it sort of uh, problematic from kind of representative standpoint but also you're, you're so liable to make mistakes because there is nothing to challenge you we need to be challenged we need to be uh, see something different we need to learn from that because that's what makes us better and I, I do completely agree with you. And I'm, I mean, I, I hearing you, I, I mean, I really appreciate you sharing your own experiences as well. And I, I'm so sorry to hear about that. It's, it's not something that anybody, particularly uh, in a political uh, position as you are putting your, you know, your a public figure and you're working hard to support your community, you should not be having to deal with that. And it's particularly concerning when we, we see the number of individuals, the number of women, the number of, um, you know, individuals from uh, the BMA communities, uh, you know, in political and public, you know, in the kind of in the public limelight, being attacked and having horrific things said to them, and I mean, it, and that's across across parties, and that is you know, party politics aside. I mean, I've used the example before, but the abuse that Diane Abbott, for example, has received is just horrendous. Regardless of what one thinks of Labour's policies or Diane Abbott or, or whatever, she's a person, she's a mother, you know, she's someone's child. How can people, you know, it's just unbelievable. Um, and, I, and that needs to be dealt with because otherwise we will go back to a state where we only have a particular type of individual representing us. And that's not good for anybody. Um, so no, no, I, I do thank you. At the end of the day, in a roundabout way, a lot of us, what have we been talking about is community and well-being and things like that. So during uh, during COVID, during the last year of the lockdown, is there anything that you've done to kind of keep yourself up, keep your well-being up, um, or any kind of top tips that you can sort of give? For example, for me, you know, I love to cook, something which I have a real passion for. Um, I'm not always the, my wife sort of says I don't read recipes and I don't read recipes. Uh, I sort of casually glance at them and then kind of go off in a different direction. But it's something I really enjoy um, and I find it kind of grounds me. Is there anything that, you know, either of you would kind of recommend as a way of kind of keeping yourself up? That's a really hard question. I think this <laughs> last year as counsellors has been enormously difficult. And, and I think, uh, you know, we went from a position of being very busy counsellors who I, I think I've worked 14 hours a day, seven days a week since, since the pandemic hit. I don't, without exception, I, I haven't taken a day off. And, and I think that's, uh, that, that's not, not been great. But on the other hand, one thing that sort of has uh, given me something to look forward to almost is we locally, we set up a food bank, which is very busy, sadly. It, it, I'd, I'd love for it not to be busy, but no. it, but it is. And I really look forward to to seeing people in the food bank, seeing the other volunteers there. Uh, I think that 
building up that um, sort of that community and really being able to 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 kind of have that camaraderie even in lockdown um, when we haven't been able to see each other. Um, you know, having that to look forward to, I've I've really enjoyed that. Um, not so much the fact that we need a food bank, but actually the 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 other people who volunteer then and those involved. One thing I I do think is really important is walking. Uh, so oftentimes, even if I'm just on my emails, I'll just walk and walk and walk. And I'll take phone calls. So if I've got council calls to take, or if I need to speak with residents, I'll just do it while I'm walking. And I think that's, uh, that's really important for mental health. And I think it's really important for physical health and well-being is just getting outside, walking, seeing things. Everything is changing so quickly now and just keeping on top of it all um, and, and feeling connected when, when we are all so disconnected. But, but with that, I do appreciate that there are many people who have been unable to, to go outside and go walk around, you know, because they've been shielding um, or, or their circumstances are different. So I, I do appreciate that's a real luxury I have to be able to do that. I think that's, uh, yeah, no, I think, I think that's fantastic. And uh, I should say, if you, if you don't already, uh, you can check out some of uh, Councillor Clark's uh, photos of her walks on Twitter, at least I've seen a few of that. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, you can. <laughs> rather nice sort of screenshots of sort of uh you know sort of very early sunrises and things like that so uh no i i completely agree and i i've always loved walking in london i always think it's a you know as much as sort of um you know i'm a country boy i suppose you know i've always loved walking in london i think you you always see so many interesting things and the kind of sense and the smells and the sounds i think it's a, it's a wonderful obviously at the moment difficult for the reasons that we we're all very aware of and obviously the things you said um but it is a wonderful place to walk around because i think it really kind of encapsulates that kind of that buzz which i don't think you get uh in other places so yeah thank you for that councillor clark councillor mitra is there anything uh anything we haven't already mentioned uh yeah. about well-being or mental health anything you sort of any top tips from your good self i i i think the best advice i can give is see parts of the lockdown and parts of this year as, as as being an opportunity to do things that you don't normally do so i i've constantly set myself goals um throughout the lockdown i mean in the, my 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 bedroom was an absolute tip uh, prior to whenever we went into i think it was march the 23rd and i basically you know within the first week i cleared it out and i had i set myself a whole set of goals over summer to turn my my bedroom into something that was a more more livable space you know I, I i i have a very small bedroom and i i don't spend much time here i'm on I'm, I'm the you know normal working life and i'm working 80 hours a day, uh, you know a, a week i'm i'm not normally at home um i'm out in the community doing stuff so it's been many many years since i spent this much time at home and it you know it i, I didn't have a livable space so i, I spent most of last year setting myself goals to make my, my you know my living space more livable um and i've also done other things i i did take up walking last year. i haven't done so much walking since uh, the november lockdown because i didn't I, I didn't think it would be a great idea to be out that often but I, I got myself from from virtually from a standing start i got myself walking uh, 10 kilometers a day every day for oh, wow gosh yeah for a good six months and it, it was absolutely fantastic it was, i bought myself an exercise bike which is now really just a clothes horse to be honest but <laughs> uh, that, that that was good whilst it lasted but you know just those little goals you know what what are the books you want to read what are the tv shows that you want to catch up on again and i think the final thing i, w I would just say is i think 
you know, so much of, of so much of the benefit you can do to your mental health is to laugh and just find things that make you happy and make you laugh. I have, uh, I, as, as Councillor Clark will know, I have an absolutely terrible sense of humour. And the, the things, the, the jokes that I find funny are, are it will you know, drive members of my my group mad. But finding all of those memes and those images, things like that, I, I, I think is great. I think my Instagram account is 90% bad joke content and but you know, <laughs> it, it keeps me laughing and that i i found that great that, that, that's great to know and obviously if you want interesting jokes obviously follow councillor mitra <laughs> on instagram that's uh that's another plug there for uh I, I completely agree with you it's those your environment particularly when we're in it so much is so important to kind of feel happy and comfortable and you know doing those bits and pieces and having some time to do those bits and pieces is so important. And I remember sort of in the early days, I, uh, I alphabet, my wife and I are both very passionate sort of book lovers, book readers. So we have lots of books and alphabetizing our bookshelves, uh, which took me four days, I think four days. Yeah. And then my, uh, my daughter, who is two today, I should say she's two today. Oh, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday to Florence. She then moved them everywhere and ripped them apart and, they're no longer in alphabetical order. So that was uh, four days in my life, which was, uh, I, don't, well, I, don't really, I don't really know how to describe it. But um, yeah, I, I, I do. I think that's, yeah, I, can, I completely agree with you. I think that's uh, fantastic. And finding that time to find some sense of positivity, I, I think is really important because there's so much and so much going on, which is not always so positive. So thank you both of you for joining me today. I just... Yeah, it's been you know it's been really great speaking to you both. I really appreciate both your 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 passion, your honesty, and also just your real kind of drive to kind of make things better. So thank you very much. So that's uh, Councillor Arjun Mitra and Councillor Anne Clark. So thank you both for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. My name's Chris Hartley, and that is the Word on Wellbeing. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.